are Locked On Pistons, your daily Detroit Pistons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Seconds left, he's got the ball, he should have it. Isaiah hangs out of the ball, flips it up to the Raptors. Detroit is the city of champions again. Detroit Basketball! What's happening? Welcome to the Locked On Pistons podcast, your episode for Thursday, September the 3rd, and a couple of wild Game 7s the last couple of nights in the NBA. This is your boy Matt Shook, the host of the Locked On Pistons podcast, a sports writer here in Detroit City covering sports gambling for PlayMichigan.com, a Pistons fan and follower my whole life, and a sports newspaper reporter for over a decade as well, today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts that your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for spreading the word about the Lockdown Pistons podcast. Not a whole lot of Pistons today. I apologize. We're still pumping out four or five episodes per week. And there's just not a lot to talk about with the Pistons sometimes because they haven't played since you and I were teenagers about 10 years ago. So is what it seems like, and we've got plenty more months. It's more of an NBA podcast today, although I've got a little bit of a take later on that some of you guys may not like. But first, we're going to run down the action from what happened on Wednesday, touch on Tuesday just a little bit, look ahead to the off-seasons, and uh, for some of the losing teams, also the second round a little bit, although we'll cover most of that tomorrow on Fridays with Brian. But uh, I also have a trade that I think needs to possibly happen and a postseason tweak for the league that needs to happen as well. But later on, I've got a Twitter take that I had on Tuesday night that I don't know went over very well with Pistons fans. You'll want to stick around for that. But give me a follow on Twitter, by the way, at Matt underscore Shook, S-C-H-O-C-H, another underscore after that. Also the Locked on Pistons Twitter account, and check us out on Facebook at Locked on Pistons dash. Matt Shook, but a wild one on Tuesday night as Denver beats Utah, kind of a throwback to Pistons Pacers from – 0304-05 era with the low-scoring game. The butts get a little tight in Game 7. We saw that. We saw Jokic come through pretty strongly. Obviously, Jamal Murray hobbled with the, the leg injury that he suffered, I believe, late in the first half, and he kind of wasn't quite himself. Donovan Mitchell, what an outstanding series that he had for the Utah Jazz, but a wild finish in that one as Torrey Craig misses the layup, which they should have backed out and obviously ran some time and forced the foul. And then Mike Conley with kind of a wild three-point shot near the buzzer that uh, went all, almost all the way in and then all out as well. I hope you guys have been enjoying it. You know, it's been it's nice as an NBA fan to get rewarded with these kind of opportunities and finishes. I know they've been wild. I know they've been weird, a little bit controversial, nothing quite clean about Wednesday's games for sure. But, you know, we've been through a lot this year. We've been through a decade of Pistons fandom, but just as a as a people and as a society and as a country and as certainly in Michigan and Southeast Michigan and Detroit in particular, a lot has gone on in, in our lives collectively, and I'm sure you're all individual lives as well, whether it's the job, the family, the health, whatever it is, and I don't want to dwell on all the bad things. This is kind of a little bit of an escape we have here with the Lockdown Pistons podcast, but enjoy the hoops while it's there. I hope you guys are parked in front of the TV for ESPN and TNT these nights as I am as well. But uh, like we said, Wednesday was a wild one too. Milwaukee loses game two. They're down 2-0 to Miami now. We're outplayed in that one. In a strange finish there, you had the uh, the play where Dragic gets called for the foul on Middleton. All of Twitter believes that that was a, a BS call. I've got a weird take on that one. I thought that 
actually when Middleton rose up for the jump shot, the Dragic was still coming in. Maybe his feet were planted. It's really close about whether his feet were planted or not. But my point was that his momentum was still carrying the rest of his body forward. And we've seen it. We see it every game. We see it basically every quarter, at least right now in the NBA, specifically in the bubble. But, you know, Langston Galloway got a lot of these calls during the season for the Pistons. Refs are really ready to call those three point foul shots. So uh, you got to do what you can as a defender to avoid it. You got to let the guy land. You can't get into his landing zone. And so, Dragic, I know that it's a strange play. You don't see it very often where a guy uh, stands up in a, a charge position, basically. In a, in a late play situation out uh, beyond the three-point line. So I know it's weird, and I know that it looks like he's not doing anything wrong, but in that type of play, you actually have to to officiate it as if it's a charge, you know, as if it's right under the basket, right outside the uh, the arc there, the uh, the area, the restricted area that, um, that they have under the basket. So, so you kind of have to think of it like that, and in that way, you know, to me, it seemed like the – and it's not a lot. I'm not saying it was clearly – uh, the way I saw it, I can understand how someone might think that his body wasn't moving that much, but to me, his momentum was carrying him forward, and it looked like he was still, you know, heading that way into the shooter, which is something you can't do. So I'm in the minority here. I think that that was a decent call there, and then obviously the call on Giannis at the end, where he gets called for the fall on Jimmy Butler, and then you get a tie game that turns into two shots to win the game with zero on the uh, the game clock. So that's a bad situation. You don't want to. Make that call, all things being equal. Probably was a foul on Giannis to put his arms on the shooter. Again, we've, we've, we've seen it time and time again throughout the NBA. But I know as fans, it's unsatisfying and it's a bummer to have a game end like that. So uh, a strange one there. But again, we're talking about two plays that somewhat evened out. And I think the better team, Miami, won on this night to take the uh, the 2-0, win there, 2-0 series victory there. And then, man, Houston tops Oklahoma City in a wild one there. Um, but uh, tonight we've got game three. I've got a couple thoughts on that, but tonight we'll, we'll go over this first. Game three of Toronto and Boston. Celtics up 2 nothing there. That's tonight in the early game. Clippers and Nuggets, game one tonight. That's going to be tough for Denver to, to uh, respond to a whole new series against the rested L.A. Clippers, and we'll see how that one goes. I'd expect the Nuggets to come out well, but I think, you know, come second half that uh, things might get a little tough for them energy-wise and uh, physicality-wise. But, you know, I got a bad feeling about this second round. I don't know if you guys are with me on this or not, but it feels like the second round might be a bit of a dud. We've got two 2-0 series, and then we've got two series where, man, I have a hard time in my head talking myself into Houston or Denver giving either of the L.A. teams a tough one here in the second round. Really need my Milwaukee to come through and make that one a series. I could see that one still going long if uh, Milwaukee and Coach Bud and all those guys can get their act together. And it being still somewhat of a toss-up. I mean, he's still got Giannis. He's got a lot to prove, of course. And sometimes you got to go through these trials. you got to go through these tribulations before you become a dominant NBA player. But, uh, man, that Houston-OKC game. Um, my biggest takeaway was that Houston – I'm sorry, OKC, just not a lot of talent overall on that team. They've got a lot of okay players, and Chris Paul is certainly better than an okay player. But if for Chris Paul to be like the number one guy at this stage of his career on a team, so very obviously the number one guy, that's probably not a team that's going to get anywhere out of the first round, you know. And, and you got guys like Dort, and obviously he was fantastic on Wednesday night, but, you know, just he's a G League guy at the beginning of the year. And, we, and, I, and I love Dort, trust me, I'll talk about that in a second. But Schroeder's out there, at least he doesn't have any fear, but he's not very good in the grand scheme of things in terms of winning playoff games. Gallinari. 
I think he's getting by a little scot-free. Where's he making some plays at any point? Um, I think they're going to be all right seeing him leave if that's the result of this offseason. Steven Adams, we all know about. Uh, Andre Drummond, Western Conference, basically, where he's overpaid, solid, but uh, doesn't really do what you need to do to win basketball games, I guess. Um, and then Shea Gilgis-Alexander, a good player who's going to be you know, a solid, adequate point guard down the road. I don't buy Shea yet as much as everyone else does, and I think he kind of showed that tonight in his first, like, not crunching time for for playoff time. He just he's just a, a, a guy out there um, at best at this point. Basically gave some good minutes as well. But man, I, the sore thumb of this one was Harden four out of fifteen, seventeen points, one for nine from three. Westbrook missed, I believe, his last five shots. He finished with twenty points. It's hard to win a game seven, and somehow your two top players take legacy hits from it. But I think that's what we saw with both Harden and Westbrook. Of course, it's baked into my mind and my my uh, thoughts that uh, I've got some biases against both of those guys. But Covington was 6-for-11 from three. The only reason that they move on, Eric Gordon was good also. But uh, the block by Harden, big play there on the Dort three-pointer. Some controversy. I thought Adams, the play before the final play, before when they called the timeout there, and everyone's talking about this, but I saw it real time where I was like, what is he doing? Why is he just – Call for the ball. He's got to be doing a better job of pointing at the rim and saying, Shea, just throw it at the rim there. Um, but, you know, another thing, Chris Paul missed a shot late. I know we're all uh, in awe of a lot of the things he did in the series, rightfully so. But uh, And then he passes it off on the final possession. Good good uh, defense there by Westbrook to get the ball out of Chris Paul's hands. Both teams trying to give it away. Just a disaster of a game. But, uh, yeah, Harden's got his chance to rectify the situation against the Lakers in a couple nights, and we'll see how all that goes, but I've got a few more takeaways and looking ahead to the offseason for some of these teams, uh, an idea that I'm seeing some of you guys also tweet out there as well, but one that I thought about, thinking about the All-Star game and why that finish was so good. We're going to talk about some of that stuff next. That's coming up next here on the Locked on Pistons podcast, but hey, got to tell you guys about my friends at rockauto.com. These are a, This is a family business, and I grew up. I, I went to college. I was able to buy clothes and food and play soccer and play basketball as a young kid because of family businesses in the auto part industry, so this hits close to home to me. But rockauto.com, they've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. So go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. The perfect type of business for these day and times. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand specifications and the prices that you prefer. Best of all, prices. rockauto.com, they're always reliably low. And the same for the pros as the do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts that your car will ever need. rockauto.com. Yes, sir! Once again, another reminder, give us your top seven big board for the Detroit Pistons draft. Assuming no trades, assuming the Pistons stay right at number seven, go on the Reddit, the sub, the Pistons subreddit thread that I started last week. I'm going to give you guys a little bit more time. We'll talk about it early next week. With the big board out there from Pistons fans accumulating the numbered system, all that stuff, love getting the spreadsheet together. We'll release that one from you guys up near about 40 votes in there. So looking for yours to weigh in on that, assuming that you can – every single player, you know, LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, those guys, assuming they won't be there at seven, but still include them in your lists, whether you'd have them at one, two, three, all the way down. And uh, give me your top seven prospects of who you would like to see – the Pistons thinking about 
in the war room on draft night. But also give us a rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Those things help a lot uh, on the different uh, podcast platforms that you see as well. But, uh, man, just some more reaction from some crazy NBA finishes. I want to start with Utah. You know, this is a team that obviously – had their season come to an end. First off, I'm I'm done with like ripping on teams that lose three one uh, leads. You know we've seen it happen in all sorts of different sports. Now I thought that when the Yankees blew the three uh, zero lead to the to the Red Sox, I thought we were kind of maybe done with some of that stuff. But that Warriors team was just so good. Uh, I think that was the record team, seventy three wins there, and then they lose a three to one lead and Draymond getting suspended for the one game and obviously a superior Golden State team to that Cleveland championship team. So I get why that team gets flack and should continue to get flack. But we, we we've seen it, you know, several times. Uh the the Thunder did it the year before to the Warriors in the playoffs and uh there's a couple other instances. It, it, it's like every year now we're seeing teams lose three one leads and it's just I don't know, especially when you're talking about a team like Utah and Denver. Uh, Utah was the sixth seed, the underdogs coming in. Obviously, Donovan Mitchell played his ass off for the entire series. He was outstanding, Uh, and they're shorthanded. That's kind of my biggest takeaway from Utah is that Bogdanovich wasn't playing for them. Mike Conley, uh, you know, he's in a different phase of his career at this point. Uh, The bad contracts around the league are starting to to pop up, and maybe some opportunities with the salary cap space that the Pistons have. Some teams might want to be pulling the plug on some of these deals. So Troy Weaver might be sitting in a catbird type of position coming up here after the uh, season is over when some teams are evaluating their futures. But I really think with Utah, I wouldn't do all that much. I would say that uh, Bogdanovich, if he was available, that's your second best scorer. Um, if he was available, they win that series and you feel pretty good about this team. I'm not firing Quinn Snyder after that or anything crazy like that. So with me and Utah, I'm keeping that team together. I know that Rudy Gobert isn't exactly the offensive option that you'd like for the amount of money that he's going to be making here down the road. But, uh, yeah, to me, I'm not doing much with Houston. I'm sorry, with Utah. Uh, the other one that's a little bit different is Chris Paul and the Thunder. And there is a world where you keep this team together and you kind of slow burn it and see where this goes. Obviously, you got some young players and Shea Gilgis Alexander and, and my man Dort who are uh, showing out. And by the way, Dort, I want to talk about him real quick. I know he shot poorly for the first part of this series, but had 30 points in Game 7. He was great. He brings it defensively. He's a well-put-together kid from Montreal, uh, just uh, thick. You know, what we like to see, especially here in Pistons land, a guy that plays so hard and is so strong. If that's the type of player that Troy Weaver can get in the second round and start him off in the G League, and, man, that's like a Pistons fan dream come true. I was watching this kid play and was thinking, man, I would love to get a a guy like Lou Dort uh, from the scrap heap, the uh, Pac-10 player of the year, come in there and, and start refining his game offensively at a pro level as time goes on, NBA type of level. Uh, gonna enjoy watching him play for other teams and hope that Troy Weaver has that kind of formula in mind when thinking about some bulldog type of players to bring to the uh, Detroit Pistons. But Chris Paul and the Thunder, interesting, right? This is a contract that is two years, eighty-five million dollars left. That is a lot of money. Uh, the second of those two years being a player option. Uh, breaking news: He's gonna pick up that forty-four million dollar player option a summer from now. Uh, but again, like I said, if you're looking at the five, six, seven guys that are playing for Oklahoma City at the end of these games, this is a team that's not that close, right? Uh, Gallinari's an unrestricted free agent. He could walk. 
Um, you know, the assumption is he probably comes back because there's not a lot of teams out there that have cap space. But again, I don't see this team being like a couple moves away from being uh, a really good second round team next year and kind of going in the trajectory upward from there. I don't know that Chris Paul's timeline quite fits with what this organization's timeline is going to be. This is a team that has all sorts of draft picks, right? All of them from L.A. in the the uh, Paul George trade. All of them, the two others plus the two pick swaps in the Russell Westbrook for for Chris Paul trade. This is a team that's well stocked for the future. Now I know that we watched Danny Ainge kind of. Uh, I know that there was some good moves, and obviously getting Jason Tatum and uh, and even moving down for that was was a nice move by Boston. But looking by and large with what they did with that huge haul of. Uh, draft capital they had for years and years and years. A bit of a disappointment. So I think that's kind of buyer beware or seller beware for the Thunder there. So, I mean, there's a little bit of incentive to to be a little worse than a first-round exit type of team going forward. Uh, maybe give Shea Gilgis-Alexander the keys of the car, miss the playoffs next year, help your own draft pick status, um, and see how it kind of goes there. Uh, that's what I would look to do. I would take this Chris Paul season, this Chris Paul postseason, and uh, hope that other teams around the league who are having their own issues or trying to figure out ways to get to that next level next season. Um, I think that they can build something a couple years down the road, three, four years down the road, where they can be really set up really well with uh, all these picks they have if they're pretty smart about it. But I think they should still be in asset accumulation mode, as strange as that sounds about a team that just went to Game 7 in the first round of the playoffs. I'm looking at a couple of teams – we talked about Philly last week with the Detroit Pistons. Al Horford, um, that contract, obviously you got to come up with a lot of salary to make that work with a Chris Paul deal. But figure out a way to get Al Horford away from Philly for Chris Paul. Obviously, Philly would have to be the one team throwing in more assets there. If you're Oklahoma City, you could probably actually get like a Matisse Thibel in that deal. Like I mentioned with, with uh, Blake Griffin and, and Al Horford, I believe that Philly has to put in more on that deal to Detroit, but Matisse Thibault is like too much, so that like puts the balance to where it's unfair for what Detroit's getting. But with Chris Paul um, playing the way he played this year, playing the way he played in this series, uh, and Horford, how you know that's looking like it's going in a negative direction. If you're uh, Sam Presti over in Oklahoma City and you're seeing the opportunity to, to kind of sell a little bit as high as it could possibly be for Chris Paul at this point. Um, you kind of got to cut your losses, right? Um, it's really a lot like Blake Griffin at the end of last season. Now, assuming that he wasn't hurt at the end of last season, we know he had to go into surgery, and that kind of changed the the value equation. But if he had that, you know, all NBA third team type of year last year and went into the offseason healthy, it would have been smart for the Pistons to explore a trade at that point and kind of cut their losses with the rest of that contract. Obviously, that didn't happen, and we saw what happened with. Blake Griffin and the Pistons this year and how they're kind of stuck with dead weight in some ways at this point. Apologies to Blake for calling him dead weight, but let's call it like it is at this point. Um, but Chris Paul, you can kind of sell, and again, this isn't the height of Chris Paul's career, but for this contract and what's left, this is going to be the best value that you could possibly have. So I would really consider doing that if I'm Sam Presti. Another team, if these Milwaukee Bucks continue to peter out, and I'm not the first one that's brought up Chris Paul to the Milwaukee Bucks, but I, it's an idea that I can get behind. 
Um, obviously, you got to come up with the salary numbers. You're going to throw, I would think, Bledsoe would be the main salary to go in there. But you got to keep stacking chips to make that deal work. I'm thinking Robin Lopez picks up his player option, and you got to throw that deal in there. DJ Wilson's another one, maybe Irsan Ilyasova. It's going to have to be a mix of contracts. And obviously, if you're uh, Oklahoma City, you might want to be this one, maybe a three-team deal type of situation to make it work for why those players might be helping um, Oklahoma City. Why do they want to do it? Do they want to bring in the, the, you know, a, a DiVincenzo or some future Milwaukee picks that they might have? Uh, that might be the move there. But uh, you know, for Giannis, if they assuming that they lose to the Miami Heat, which is not a, an assumption that you need to be making, but if that's what happens with this team, or if they get trounced in the uh, conference finals by Boston or something like that, and they want to really you know get serious about showing Giannis that they're a championship level type of team, and vice versa, maybe bringing in a Chris Paul is something that could kind of uh, inject some life into that team and maybe make them a better playoff team when all is said and done. Some things to think about for Sam Presti, but it's a nice problem to have as opposed to waiting out these next two years, not really having any options of what to do with Chris Paul. Another thing, hey, the Elam ending. We've seen a couple of uh, uh, disjointed finishes of games, clock, and it's just been ugly. And it takes a long time. The replays, I go on and on about it, and I'm, I'm sure the replays, they're, they're a separate issue in some ways, but I think the Elam ending and teams trying to be aggressive and score points at the end of the game uh, like they did in the All-Star game is uh, something that the NBA should explore. I think it's only a matter of time. We're going to see it. Um, it's probably going to be a few years down the road because that's just how things go. But I think people like me that saw the All-Star game, watched the basketball tournament here and there, uh, the Elam ending to refresh the memories is you get to a certain point uh, in the clock and that's uh, you know the buzzer basically goes off with four minutes left in the game. And the, the you can you can set new limits, but I think it's 15 points right now. Where the team that's up uh, 15, you add 15 to that, and that's the target score. So the game ends when if it's 80 to 70, then you're playing a 95. You know, just like you do on the playground. And then uh, the team who is 70 has to score 25 points. The team who has 80 obviously has to score 15 points. So the clock gets taken out of the scenario. And really a lot of these ugly endings and free throws and, and desperation situations obviously has to do with the clock. You remove that from the equation, you might help out your brand of basketball in fourth quarters at the end of playoff games, which is when all eyes are on it. We're all watching these games. It's exciting. Uh, crazy stuff happens, but too much ref stuff. Um, and I think the Elam ending would help alleviate some of those problems with clock and foul situations and who fouled who and all that stuff. Again, you're always going to have refs. You're always going to have situations. But I think guys being aggressive, trying to score as many points as possible, as opposed to running out the clock, I think solves or helps solve some of those problems going forward. But, hey, I got a hot take for you guys about the Pistons that some of you guys might not like. So please stay around and hear that one. That's coming up next year on the Lockdown Pistons podcast, which is a proud member of the Lockdown Network, your team, every day. But, hey, you know I got to tell you guys about Built Bar, the best-tasting protein bar ever. The new flavors are on their way. Caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, apple almond crisp, they are the six new flavors. Add those to the 12 original ones. Your favorites like German chocolate, mint brownie, toffee almond, peanut butter brownie. Amazing. These bars are all covered in 100% chocolate, soft and easy to chew. They're healthy as well. They're great for the health-conscious guy. You lose or maintain the weight while indulging in a delicious treat. The bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber. Those are the macros you want as you try to be a better you. 
They've reset the promo code for this relaunch as well, and there's a free cooler with purchase while supplies last as well. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. In my hot take for the day that I know some of you guys are going to want to punch me through your phone or whatever listening device you have, is the Pistons have the worst logo in professional sports. The circle, the basketball with the Detroit Pistons spelled out in the middle and very mundane lettering there. Uh, I know it's what we all grew up on, and I know they changed it a little bit during the going-to-work era and then brought it back. And I know the change with this team and talking about those kind of things harkens back bad memories to going full-time teal, changing the court design and all that stuff like it did in the 90s. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying scrap the logo and go back to the teal uniforms, although I do want them. For a throwback, you know, teal night, 90s night, all that stuff, it'll be fun, which I do believe will happen sometime in these next few years. They will bring those back for a, a throwback kind of night. But, no, I don't think they should go. I, I love the red, white, and blue. I love the court design. I love the name Pistons. I don't mind the uniforms. I think the uniforms can be a little better, and I'd work on those a little bit too. But that logo, I'm just talking about the logo specifically. And I know that there's teams out there like the Lakers, the Celtics, and the Bulls, And Pistons fans, we like to think of ourselves as a historical franchise along the lines of those teams, and I believe we are. So there's something to be said for, like, we're the teams that had all the success in the 80s and the 90s, and we've kept our logos forever. Well, guess what? You look at the Lakers logo, you look at the Celtics logo, you look at the Bulls logos, those are nice. Those are sharp. Those are simple. They are iconic to their franchise. The Pistons is a circle, and it's a ball, and it's Detroit Pistons. It's just bad. You or I could have designed it. And look, I'm as nostalgic as anyone. I'm as traditionalist as most people, especially maybe the demo of some of the listeners. I think you guys are mostly a lot younger than me, and I appreciate you guys sticking with an old man doing a podcast. But, man, uh, switch it up. And, And you can keep a lot of the same kind of design elements, just jazz it up a little bit. It was made in 1979. It looks like it was made in 1979. Um, Just use it as a template. Throw some things in there. I don't have a problem bringing back the horse head. I know there's a lot of you guys on Twitter that are graphic designers. I see a lot of times in my feeds all sorts of great designs that you guys are coming up with. Maybe the Pistons can figure out a way to um, jazz it up using a fan contest type of thing. I don't know, but I know that there's probably some creatives, some people who are working art. Uh, departments with the Detroit Pistons organization that every time they see that logo, they just got to puke in their mouth. And again, I grew up on this team. You know how much I love the Detroit Pistons organization. You know how much this organization has meant to me. And uh, certainly the final countdown, the bad boys, the I got the, the bad boys tank top, the black, black one. I still wear it uh, out in the summer these days um, as a 37-year-old man. I love this franchise. I love the history of this franchise. I love tradition of this franchise as well. But that circle logo, Detroit Pistons, look at like an ESPN app of the standings and look at all the other NBA logos. Like I said, you've got a handful of the traditional ones, but the rest of them are sharp. They've been updated 10, 15 times over the years since the Pistons have updated theirs. And it's just got to change. So get on social media and tell me how much of an idiot I am for for being uh, as blasphemous to suggest that the Pistons should change their logo. And we'll hash it out and argue about that because it's probably better than some of the other things that we can be arguing about on Twitter these days. But this is your boy Matt Shuck, the host of the Locked on Pistons podcast. That wraps up this edition of Locked on Pistons. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked on NBA. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you guys tomorrow with Fridays with Brian.